Hi there. You're listening to Unite and Heal America with Matt Mattern. I'm your guest host, Harry Arton. And today we have a fantastic guest. Uh, She's a PhD. Her name is Anya Brandon. She's the U.S. Plastics Policy Analyst with Ocean Conservancy. And Anya, welcome to Unite and Heal America. Thank you so much for coming on the show. Thank you so much for having me. I'm excited to be here. Yeah, this is terrific. Um, uh, our our host Matt Mattern had um, had uh, was very interested in this recent legislation. It's the SB fifty four, correct? Absolutely, that's yeah. Standing for Senate Bill fifty four. Tell us a little bit about Senate Bill fifty four because that's that's new in the news in California. So tell us a little bit about that. As you know, Unite and Heal America, we address the, uh, the environment. Yeah, SB 54, um, which was introduced and recently passed um, just about two weeks ago here in California, um, is the single strongest plastics legislation we've ever seen in the United States. Um, And that's precisely because it requires less single-use plastics to be sold into the state of California over the next 10 years. Uh, So it actually requires 25% less single-use plastic packaging and foodware in the state over the next 10 years. Um, And I worked with another scientist at Ocean Conservancy, and we estimated that this will result in a reduction of 23 million tons of plastic in the state over the next 10 years, which is equivalent to roughly 26 times the weight of the Golden Gate Bridge in California. Wow. Wow. So so you're uh, that's incredible and terrific for the turtles and all the fish in the ocean and all the rest, all the life. so you're a plastics policy analyst. What, what does that exactly involve at, at Ocean Conservancy? Yeah, great question. Um, that means I work at the state and federal level on policies that will reduce plastic pollution. Um, that means working with legislators, their staff, other environmental advocates, um, other stakeholders as well to write and pass policies that will result in less plastic pollution, waste and production um, for the betterment of our ocean. Um, I'm actually a scientist by training, um, but I wanted to kind of switch gears after I finished my PhD to work on um, policy to have a more sweeping and broad impact um, more immediately on our environment. Terrific, that's, that's so fantastic. So where did your uh, passion start uh, with, uh, with uh, combating such a nefarious thing as plastics in the ocean. Where did your passion start? Yeah, I uh, got really interested in plastic pollution um, back in you know fifth or sixth grade. Um, I actually uh, got my start working at the Seattle Aquarium um, in high school as a youth ocean advocate. Um, and in Seattle, the Puget Sound is right there. It's right in our backyard. Um, and it's this little microcosm, kind of like a little fishbowl um, for what else is happening in the ocean. And so there's all sorts of you know, amazing wildlife and animals and habitat and a ton of pollution. Um, and so that's where I first learned about plastic pollution in our environment um, and got absolutely hooked by this problem because it's so entirely um, man-made and man-generated. Um, and it seemed like such an interesting solution or an interesting problem to try to work on solutions for. Hmm. So Ocean Conservancy, how long has Ocean Conservancy been around and what, what is its main mission? Ocean Conservancy is a, a nonprofit environmental advocacy organization um, 
whose mission is to protect the ocean from today's greatest global challenges. Um, so together we create evidence-based solutions for a healthy ocean um, and the wildlife and communities that depend on it. Um, and we envision a healthier ocean protected by a more just world. Um, so we're working on any number of the great challenges facing our ocean uh, from climate change to plastic pollution, um, to drilling and offshore oil, um, all of the um, you know, crises that are facing our ocean to make sure that the communities um, that depend on it and as well as ecosystems and wildlife can really live and thrive. Fantastic. I mean, you know, I think about uh, plastics and I think what is, you know, I know it's very harmful, but what is the, what are the main, what are the main harms of plastics in our, in our society, especially the oceans? Yeah, you know, I think it's easy to, or one thing that we all think about is our ocean plastic pollution crisis. And you're absolutely at a crisis point um, and it's impacting all of us. Uh, plastics are everywhere in our ocean from the deepest trench, the Mariana Trench, uh, to the most remote island shores at this point. Um, plastics we know are now even in our food and our own bodies as these microplastics that break down um, from our larger plastic pollution. Uh, nearly 11 million metric tons of plastic flow into the ocean each year from land-based sources alone, um, harming our marine ecosystem and the communities and wildlife that depend on it. Um, but plastics are not just a pollution problem. 99% um, of plastics are made from fossil fuels. So plastic production directly contributes to our climate crisis. Wow, I did not know that. Wait, and you said, you said plastics in the body? Yeah, there's been some um, increasing research and evidence that have found um, microplastics. So these microscopic, um, sometimes, you know, invisible to the naked eye pieces of plastic um, that have been found in um, the human body, whether it's um, a mother's uh, placenta to, um, you know, our own blood uh, blood cells, which are, or blood, I should say, uh, which was kind of the most recent research that's come out. Um, we've seen it in microplastics in our drinking water um, and some of our protein sources like seafood um, and even, you know, land-based protein sources um, to things like sea salt. Um, so, you know, it's really all over our um, food supply chain and getting into our bodies. And we don't yet know exactly what that impact is. Wow. So we're be almost becoming literally plastic. Uh, we are certainly <laughs> consuming more and more plastic uh, without knowing exactly what it's doing to our bodies. So yeah, pretty scary. Oh my God. Oh my God. Uh, wow. Um, I mean, what is, I mean, is there going off topic here? Is there like an alternative? Have you, have you done any research at ocean conservancy as to like an alternative, uh, approach to, to our packaging, uh, as opposed to just plastic or maybe a, a less, um, destructive form of plastic. Yeah. And I think sometimes instead of focusing, or I, I think instead of focusing on, you know, what is the best one-to-one -one replacement, um, kind of taking a step back and first asking, do we need that plastic product? Do we need that piece of packaging? Um, could we eliminate it altogether? Maybe we don't need our produce triple wrapped in something. Um, or could we replace it with a reusable product? 
um, you know, products and packaging that we can use time and time again, we know are the most efficient and effective ways to really get to that circular economy that results in less pollution and also less climate impacts. Um, so, you know, I think one thing that we're working, thinking a lot about at Ocean Conservancy um, is how to not just, you know, it's not designing products to be better for when they do pollute, um, but not polluting in the first place. So how can we use less single-use products and packaging um, and invest in our reuse economy instead? Um, and of course, there's going to be certain plastic products or packaging um, that we do need. And so then the, the trick is going to be asking ourselves, what is the most sustainable, recyclable um, option or design to make sure that any plastic we do need um, can stay in our economy and be reused over and over again. Sure, sure. Do you know anything about that? Um, what's that huge uh, landmass of plastic uh, in the ocean uh, floating? Uh, this horrible, this horrible sounding plastic mass of garbage plastic in the ocean. What do you know about that? And is there anything we can do about that? And what harm do you think it's causing? Yeah, uh, it's a little bit of a, a misnomer. Um, so there's these they're called gyres in the ocean. Um, and there are these natural ocean currents um, that you know, spread or circulate around our world naturally. Um, and they tend to collect things as they do that. And so there's these center areas in our um, oceanic gyres that accumulate and collect um, a lot of plastic and other pollution. Um, you know, it's a bit of a misnomer that it's a big island out there. It's really more of a plasticky kind of soup um, made up of plastic pollution, you know, whether it's big items all the way down to tons and tons of those microscopic microplastics I was talking about. Um, there's one, you know, one of the largest, most well-studied ones is right here off our coast um, in California, the Pacific Gyre. It's kind of between California and Hawaii. Um, but we know there's gyres in other places around the world that all kind of, you know, swirl around and tend to collect these pollution. Um, so yeah, incredibly um, harmful, but also a great place where tons of research has been done looking at all of the plastic pollution in our ocean. Wow. 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 Well, this is uh, quite, quite fascinating. I mean, so today we're discussing again with, with Anya Brandon, PhD, with uh, Ocean Conservancy about the harms of plastic in our society and especially the oceans. I mean, it is oceans that it's, it's the most harmful, correct? Uh, we at Ocean Conservancy think of it as one ocean. So we're all connected by one big ocean. Yeah, true. Anyway, fantastic. And um, we're going to take a station identification break. We are Unite and Heal America with Matt Mattern. And I'm your guest host, Harry Arton, and we'll be back with Anya in a minute. Thank you. As you may know, your host, Matt Mattern of Unite and Heal America, is also the founder of Mattern Law Group. Their team of experienced employment, consumer, and environmental attorneys are dedicated to leveling the playing field by giving everyone access to the highest quality legal representation. Contact 844-MLG-FOR-YOU. That's 844-MLG-FOR-YOU or 844-654-4968. 844-654-4968. All right, you're listening to Unite and Heal America with Matt Matter, and I'm your guest host, 
Harry Arton, and I, I have a fantastic guest coming back here, PhD Anya Brandon, uh, the U.S. Plastics Policy Analyst with Ocean Conservancy. Thank you again, Anya, for coming on the show. So let me ask you this. Uh, you know, we're talking about plastics and, and the destruction, especially in the ocean, and we're all connected to the ocean. I mean, it's like the biggest, what, it's the biggest uh, uh, mass of uh uh, on this planet is our oceans. I mean, ocean, pretty much the earth equals an ocean, <laughs> right? Yeah, absolutely. It covers, you know, 72% of uh, earth at least. 72%. I mean, that's, we don't think about that, do we? We don't think about that, 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 that just like we don't realize that our body is what, 80% water, 90% water. We're 72% yeah. ocean. Uh, huh. Over 70%. And plastics. And plastics are a big, big threat. Again, off topic here, but uh, again, I'm just curious if we go at our rate of plastic destruction, I mean, what have you analyzed what harms they could do to the seas? Yeah, we know that, um, you know, at the current almost like exponential rate of plastic use and production, um, it's really unsustainable. Um, we have, you know, there's some estimates out there that plastic production is expected um, to double or triple by 2050, um, which is not only incredibly, incredibly harmful for our oceans in terms of pollution, uh, but also a real challenge for addressing climate change. Um, you know, we already mentioned that plastics are made primarily of um, fossil fuels um, and all of that fossil fuel extraction and production to get to. Wait, hold on. Hold on, just sorry to cut you off, but they're made of fossil fuels or they're made from the process or, or fossil fuels are made, are used in the process of making plastic or both? Uh, a little bit of both. Um, so plastics are um, essentially a solid form of oil. They're what we call a hydrocarbon. Um, so they're just carbons and hydrogen atoms stuck together, just like any other fossil fuel. Um, so you actually... Um, get out the basic building blocks for plastics from our, from our fossil fuel extraction. Um, and it's a really energy intensive process to then take those and make it into a plastic. So not only are they made from fossil fuels, it requires a lot of fossil fuel energy to then turn that back into, for, turn that fossil fuel into a plastic. Wow. So plastic really is hydrocarbons. Yes. Yeah. And carbon is that bad word. <laughs> in, our, in our in our environmental fight right now, so uh, also we've done some research too. Your uh, for your PhD, uh, I know noticed you said you had done some research, interestingly enough, on insects and bacteria that can eat and actually break down plastics. Why did you switch to focusing uh, on policy, and um, or you know what, what do you think about innovative technologies like that? Yeah, um, I really loved the science and it's so uh, cool and catchy, um, you know, especially after so many um, bad news stories in the environment, which I'm sure you all are all too familiar with reporting on. Um, it's exciting to have something that seems like a good news story finally. Um, and so I was studying these insects, um, mealworms, um, and the bacteria in their gut that can actually break down plastics all the way. Um, so, you know, not just turn them into microplastics, but really get rid of plastics. Um, and as exciting as that research was, I realized like so many other researchers, um, 
that that wasn't going to be a silver bullet um, kind of solution for our problem, um, and that really there wasn't going to be any one solution for our plastic pollution crisis. Um, and it's because the magnitude of the challenge is just too big. Um, we are making too many plastics to have any one technology, um, you know, really, really fix if we think about it. Um, so we kind of need an all of the above approach that really needs to start with making less plastic in the first place. Um, over half of the plastics ever made in the world have been made in the last 13 years alone. So really just an exponential growth in plastics. Nearly 40% of that goes to single-use packaging. So plastics that are designed to be used once and then immediately discarded. Um, so I realized we simply couldn't innovate and in technology our way out of this crisis. Uh, so I turned to policy because I saw that we need these systemic changes to cut down on the amount of plastics that we use in the first place um, and hold plastic producers responsible for all of this waste that they're generating. Yeah. Yeah. What about, what about the idea? Well, I don't know whether it's a wacky idea. What if the government were to step in and say, we, we are going to have, um, uh, maybe for subsidized cost or, or free of charge, like a water filtration system in everybody's house. So that way, and, 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 and that, that way people will not uh, buy bottled water anymore and bottled water will literally be banned. Yeah. Um, you know, the, uh, inability of our government to provide clean drinking water everywhere is really a um, devastating failure. Um, and we've seen time and time again in this country, um, drinking water crises. Um, as I said, I'm a, a scientist by training and I, I studied environmental engineering, which is all about how we provide uh, clean, safe drinking water to many places. Um, and it's really devastating that you know, as a country, we can't do that. And we can't simply get rid of plastic water bottles um, because we know there's so many communities uh, that require those wa that water source as a clean drinking water supply. Um, so yes, I would love uh, for our government to step up and ensure that we have clean drinking water access to every citizen um, and everyone really in the States. Or, and, or a, you know, a, maybe like some sort of like you know, like a, like a system by which the government sends, sends the majority of people water filtration system of some sort that would motivate people to, um, uh, to, to, to not buy, uh, their, their water in, in, in plastic bottles. And then maybe what if there was like some sort of extra tax or something for, to buying, water in bottles, plastic bottles, like a plastic tax or something like a plastic penalty. I don't know. Is, is that yeah, there's been some, there's some policy out there that kind of tries to get at that idea in general. Um, SB 54, um, the, the policy that brought us here today talking, um, kind of takes that, um, the, the onus of responsibility and shifts it from us, the consumer, onto producers in the first place. Um, as the you know, plastic producers who are making all of those harmful products. Um, and it holds producers 
financially responsible for the end of life of their product. Um, so in doing that, it kind of internalizes some of those costs that right now we pay for as taxpayers or we pay for as ratepayers when we're paying for you know our recycling or uh, trash to get picked up. Um, and in doing that, it actually um, you know makes it, it gives the producers a reason financially to actually design and make better products in the first place that can be recycled, can be reused. Um, or actually make fewer products, you know, fewer plastic products, um, whether it's, you know, just using less plastic um, in their existing packaging or what have you, um, by switching the responsibility onto these big producers, um, it kind of puts their financial skin in the game um, to help be part of the solution. So what is, what is the number one form that plastic takes that is the number one offender, do you think? Um, is it, is it bottles? Is it, what, what, what do you, what, what is the form of plastic that uh, uh, is a number one offender? Yeah. You know, I think any and all of these single use um, plastic packaging and foodware are, are really our top offenders. Um, so just, just to elucidate again for our audience, single use, it defines single use, even though yeah, it's that's a, pretty, that's a uh, great pretty um, obvious but no it, it just means a plastic um packaging or you know um, takeout container or anything like that that's designed to be used once and then immediately discarded um and so that's most of the plastics that we interact with on a day-to-day -day basis whether it's your uh, a water bottle um a takeout container at a store or a fast food restaurant to a food wrapper um, that we buy um at a store um, and targeting these single-use plastic packaging um, really has to be central to any strategy tackling plastic pollution um, because it's these items that are most likely to end up polluting our beaches and our ocean. Um, we at Ocean Conservancy have data to show that um, more than half of the most common items littering our beaches and our waterways over the past 35 years are these single-use plastic packaging and foodware items. Uh... Interesting. And then um, last question very quickly as we wrap up here. Uh, what about the, the has the, has, has it been effective uh, this limiting of plastic bags in our grocery stores? Yeah, man, that's a, a bigger question uh, that we should come back and talk Okay, about. we'll probably come back here. That's a <laughs> We'll leave that for the next segment. Again, uh, this is Unite and Heal America with Matt Mattern. Uh, I'm your guest host, Harry Arton. We have uh, Anya Brandon, U.S. Plastic Policy Analyst with Ocean Conservancy. And Unite and Heal America will be right back. As you may know, your host, Matt Mattern of Unite and Heal America, is also the founder of Mattern Law Group. Their team of experienced employment, consumer, and environmental attorneys are dedicated to leveling the playing field by giving everyone access to the highest quality legal representation. Contact 844-MLG-FOR-YOU. That's 844-MLG-FOR-YOU or 844-654-4968. 844-654-4968. This is Unite and Heal America with Matt Mattern. I am your guest host, Harry Arton, and we have a fantastic guest coming back here, guest Anya Brandon, PhD, uh, and U.S. Plastic Policy Analyst, Plastics Policy Analyst with Ocean Conservancy. Anya, again, we were just talking about 
plastic bags. And I know uh, I'm from Michigan and I recently relocated to California about a year ago. And I know uh, it's pretty draconian. Well, maybe that's not the right term, but it's pretty you know strict when it comes to the use of, of, of plastic bags in grocery stores. Do you think that that's making a big impact uh, positively on our uh, uh, com- uh, desire to combat plastics in our environment? Absolutely. You know, I think tackling any of these, you know, really harmful single use plastics um, through phase outs or bans is really critical because we know there's certain items um, like bags that are not recyclable, um, are easily replaced with reusable items, um, and that end up disproportionately as pollution on our beaches and do a ton of harm when they're out there in the environment. Um, And so that's why California stepped up and banned um, plastic bags uh, that has led to a ton of people investing in reusable tote bags um, and bringing those to the store. I know if you're anything like me, my uh, car trunk is absolutely full of, you know, fun, colorful bags that I now bring into the store um, instead of these plastic bags. Um, that being said, uh, we also learned a lot of lessons on how to do that in California and how to design um, legislation and standards um, that will not just lead to more plastic. Um, so one issue we saw sometimes with this plastic bag ban is thicker bags, um, thicker plastic bags being used instead of you know eliminating plastic bags in the first place. Um, and that's one of the motivations that led to SB 54 um, just saying, you know, leading with the intent, we want less plastics. So we are going to mandate and require less single-use plastics in the state of California. So the thicker plastic bags were, were, were designed to just be reusable and be more durable. They were designed to be more reusable and durable. Um, you know, some people, um, myself included, think it's just it's skirting the rules a little bit. You know, it's not really the intention. The intention was for those you know, reusable tote bags that we all have piling up in the trunk of our car um, rather than any of these single-use bags. Um, Because we know that some of those uh, plastic bags, while they were designed to be more reusable, don't end up um, being more reusable um, in the end, Um, especially if people still think of them as single-use. Yeah, I'm kind of irritated by those thick plastic bags. We don't have those in Michigan where I'm from. And uh, I don't know, I never understood what what to make of it. It seems like overkill. But um, uh, the other question I had was, oh, do you think there's going to be a time in which we, we, we pick up uh, fast food or we pick up uh, to-go items and we, we have to bring our own like uh, to-go type, uh, uh, you know, where, like, I hate to say plastic, but reuse or reusable plastic. Yeah. Uh, um, you know, I think. A good solution or. I think that's a pretty exciting idea. Um, And I know there's certain places, um, especially in California, that are looking and trying alternatives like that. Um, Berkeley, California is a great example um, where they've, you know, the whole city has worked with, um, I believe it's called GoWare, which is reusable, um, you know, Tupperware type. Yeah, type items. Um, so you can go to a store and, you know, get a box lunch um, in something like a GoWare. You can go to a takeout place or a restaurant and get those GoWare and then return it um, wherever you go next. Um, and they take it back and clean it and reuse it. Um, and because it's a, you know, one big unified system, it actually works pretty effectively. Um, so lots of and, Yeah. And I think you should get like 50 cents off every time you use your GoWare. Yeah. Yeah. I don't know if they 
cans and bottles. Absolutely. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I, don't, I don't know if they have that um, in place or if it's just, you know, cheaper for everyone mm-hmm. because you're not paying for all that disposable goods. Um, yeah, right. uh, you know, they, they bake in an incentive for people to use it. So, and then also, are, are, I don't know if I asked you this already, if you answered this question already, but are there great, are there great alternatives to plastic? Uh, yeah, we talked a little bit about reusables and how we should right. really be fo- focusing on that in the first place. Right, usable. But is there another substance besides plastic that could be you know, that, that scientists can, you know, like yourself, you know, could, could possibly develop that wouldn't be as harmful for the environment? Yeah, there's a lot of um, research being done on, um, you know, compostable and other plastics like that. Right now in California, there's no. Um, plastics that are compostable um, under the the definition in law. Um, So there's really not any great alternatives right now in California. Um, You know, there's other, you know, types of packaging that have been out there. Aluminum, paper, glass, all of those um, are pretty readily recycled um, or recyclable. And so I think we'll see um, an increase um, in those types of packaging as well. Mm. Interesting. So more, more, more paper, but isn't using paper destructive to our environment? Yeah, absolutely. If we're not, we're using recycled paper um, that has to come from somewhere and that tends to come from trees. Um, so it's really important. Um, and one thing that SB 54, this law um, that was just passed in California does is it requires um, all packaging materials to help pay into um, that financial end of life of their product um, and pay into improving and investing in California's recycling system, because we will see more products moving to um, paper or, you know, cardboard or other, you know, fiber-based products. And it's so important that we invest in our paper recycling so that we um, are not just clear cutting trees to use paper. Um, we actually have that recycled content there that we can use. So, I mean, besides, you know, the twin uh, endeavors of, of recycling plastic and also just really cutting down plastic uh, production, is there anything else that we can do practically to keep plastics out of the ocean? That's a great question. Um, you know, I think um, in terms of our big picture um, macro plastics, the things that we think of, you know, single use water bottles, um, bags, foodware, items like that, using less plastic in the first place um, and making sure that all of the plastics we do use um, are recyclable and then get recycled is really critically important. There's this whole other um, new problem that we're learning about in these microplastics um, that are, you know, small bits and pieces of plastic that break up. Um, There's also microfibers, um, small bits and pieces of plastics that actually shed from all of our plastic clothes. Um, And that's a whole new issue. Hold on. Stop stopping you there again. Plastic clothes. Yeah. We have a lot of plastic in our clothes, don't we? We do. Uh, So anything that you have that is uh, um, polyester is um, another word for plastic. Um, Really? Polyester is plastic. Yep. Most of our, well, a lot of our clothes are polyester. Um, anything that is uh, nylon. Um, I'm trying to think of other <laughs> other words here. Um, 
there's, you know, a lot of those uh, fibers are all synthetic plastic based. Um, and so they, when they're in our washing machine or even our clothes dryers, um, they shed these little bits and pieces of plastic um, that then flow out into our waterways or into our airways from the dryer. Um, and so I think there's gonna be a lot of future work to think about um, how our government can help protect us from that. So whether it is um, filters on our washing machines, and our clothes dryers um, to better filters in our you know, municipal wastewater treatment systems. Um, our car tires are also made out of plastic. Um, and as they rub down along the roads, um, they shed little bits and pieces of plastic um, that we know can be really, really harmful in the environment as well. Um, so plastics are really all around us. And I think each type of plastic pollution is gonna um, require um, you know, a different policy solution to think about how we make sure it's not hurting our environment and ultimately coming back to hurt us and our communities. I mean, plastic is, 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 is pervasive and everywhere. And then we, you know, and, and in California, we're not even, we're not even going to start with uh, talking about the plastic people. No, I'm, I'm kidding around. <laughs> but pr plastic pretty much is everywhere. And it's it, from our clothes to our, our water yeah. to, uh, to um, obviously our, our packaging. Um, yeah, the United States is the number one generator of plastic waste globally. Um, so we really have a big responsibility here to yeah. um, tackle this issue um, for the sake of our planet and uh, communities, but also, you know, for the sake of our climate. Right, you know, I, I, I don't understand why America is, is the number one contributor to plastic dis destruction in our environment and plastic uh, creation. But I, I want to address that, that topic as we come back. Again, you're listening to Unite and Heal America with Matt Mattern. I'm your guest host, Harry Arden. We have our fantastic guest all about plastics today, uh, Anya Brandon, PhD with U.S. Plastics Policy Analyst with Ocean Conservancy. And we'll be right back. As you may know, your host, Matt Mattern of Unite and Heal America, is also the founder of Mattern Law Group. Their team of experienced employment, consumer, and environmental attorneys are dedicated to leveling the playing field by giving everyone access to the highest quality legal representation. Contact 844-MLG-FOR-YOU. That's 844-MLG-FOR-YOU or 844-654-4968. 844-654-4968. You're listening to Unite and Heal America with Matt Mattern. I'm your guest host, Harry Arden. And we have our fantastic guest coming back here, Anya Brandon, PhD, U.S. Plastics Policy Analyst with Ocean Conservancy. Now, the question again, uh, Anya, uh, that I had before the break was that why is America the number one offender when it comes to plastics? Yeah, um, if we think about it, we are um, a very... Um, consumer and convenience driven culture. Um, we buy a lot of things and we like for it to be as convenient and easy as possible. Um, this kind of got started, you know, really back just after World War II with our disposable culture, you know, cleanup culture, you know, it's simple and easy. You don't need to wash dishes. You'll have a TV tray that you can then throw away every time. Um, so it really started 
um, decades and decades ago and has continued um, to this day. Um, you know, earlier this week, there was a ton of sales on a particular uh, large e-commerce site. And so going out across the country, we will see um, tons and tons of products um, packaged, um, you know, sometimes in an individual package and then in a plastic mailer and then sometimes in another, you know, with plastic um those little like plastic air pillows inside to protect them. Um, so we just use um, and buy a ton and ton of things, which leads to a ton of plastic waste. Um, that coupled with historic underinvestments in our recycling systems um, means that our national um, average recycling rate for plastics is well below 10%. You know, it kind of varies on the year and which data you're looking at, but it hovers somewhere close to 8%. So only 8% of our plastics end up getting recycled, which means everything else is getting disposed or ending up in our environment as pollution. That's ridiculous. Um, well, what, what is the rate of, let's say, plastic recycling in China? No, I don't actually know um, uh, for China. Um, or how about off Europe? The, off the top of my head. In Europe, um, they have a lot of these policies um, that California just passed called extended producer responsibility. And that's this idea that holds these plastic producers accountable um, for the end of life of their products um, and, and investing in our recycling systems. So Europe tends to have um, somewhere about like a four to six times higher average recycling rate than us. Um, for their plastics because of these extended producer responsibility laws that they've had for decades. Um, the first countries in Europe started passing um, these EPR policies back in the 1990s. Wow, 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 wow. Um, you know, going back to now SB4, Senate Bill 54, um, uh, SB54 in California, what, what do you think makes it unique and, and why are people calling it the strongest plastics legislation? Yeah, this bill is really unique, um, as we talked about, because it it's the first bill that will require less single-use plastics to be made in the first place. So 25% less single-use plastics in the state of California over the next 10 years, coupled with this idea um, of extended producer responsibility. So holding plastic producers accountable for um, the financial end of life of their products. Um, that, you know, will help California transition to a circular economy. Um, as part of that, it will require that all packaging in the state um, be actually recyclable or actually compostable. So making sure that all of the packaging we see on our shelves could be part of our circular economy, um, and then requiring that plastics actually get recycled at a really high rate, 65% recycling rate by 2032. So way higher than our national average. Um, and then the last um, really unique piece of SB 54 is hundreds and millions of dollars of um, environmental mitigation funding um, to uh, you know, repair um, the historic and current harm of plastic pollution um, in our communities in California and also in our ecosystems. Um, so really investing um, $5 billion over the next 10 years and um, undoing some of that past harm from plastic pollution and production. So as before, the, the official title is the Plastic Pollution Prevention and Packaging Producer Responsibility Act. 
And again, just, <laughs> yeah, to sum it up, why, I mean, why do you think it's going to be so effective and do you, and how do you think, uh, and, and do you, do you see, uh, how do we implement that in, 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 in states across this great United States? Yeah, I think it's going to be really effective um, in part because so many stakeholders were involved in writing this law. Um, Senator Ben Allen, who is the, the lead author of this bill, um, his wonderful staffer got by the way, We've had him on the show twice. <laughs> and you, you know um, how great he can be um, or, or is on these environmental issues. Um, so his wonderful staffer, Tina, um, gathered 25 of us, 25 different stakeholders, all interested in this work um, from different spectrums from across, um, you know, across the aisle to sit down and really hammer out what is the strongest policy and what is best for California at the end of the day. Um, and I think that process of going through negotiation really made this the strongest bill um, and really ensured that there was buy-in um, from the environmental side, from local governments, from waste, um, you know, waste management uh, facilities um, and haulers, all the way down to industry. Um, so I really think that process is really unique and it's gonna be um, important to replicate other places. Uh, California is now the fourth state to pass extended producer responsibility legislation. Um, Maine and Oregon were the first two last year and Colorado passed um, EPR a little bit earlier this year. Um, but California is the first one to do this extended producer responsibility and plastic source reduction. So requiring that less plastics be used. Now, what, but you know, again, whether you've answered this fully or not, but why is recycling alone not enough to solve this problem? Yeah, that's a great question. Um, recycling, um, you know, especially as envisioned right now, um, was kind of always doomed to fail. You know, when you and I check out at a store, we may be bringing home chips wrapped in a plastic film made out of one material, um, you know, a rigid container of yogurt made out of another material, um, and a carton of berries made out of yet another material, right? Um, and our recycling system that's supposed to manage all of that waste um, is funded by you and I um, as taxpayers and as ratepayers. Um, so, you know, we historically have not invested enough in our recycling system to make it capable of handling all of those different types of plastics that we're trying to throw at it. Um, so we do need to invest in our recycling system as part of the solution. Um, but ultimately, that's really not enough because we know we are just making too many plastics in the first place. Um, so even if we could recycle a ton of the plastics, um, it is unsustainable for our climate and our climate crisis to keep making and using this much plastic. Um, and there's tons of plastics out there that are just not going to be able to be recycled, um, which is why it's important that we um, reduce and get rid of those harmful plastics um, and instead, you know, simplify and only use the plastics that we know that could be recycled. Right. And uh, what, what can we do? What more can be done on the government level to help have like a, a you know, a trash free sea? What, what, do you, what do you think other governmental measures can be enacted? Yeah, you know, I think the rest of uh, the government, the federal government, other states really need to take a look at what California has been doing. Um, California has been a great leader, both with this bill, uh, but also, you know, past legislation. California is one of the few states 
um, so far that has really defined um, what is recyclable? What gets to be labeled as recyclable? It's such a simple question. Um, we all turn over um, a plastic packaging um, or a bottle and you see a number in those little chasing arrows and we all assume that means we can put it in the recycling, um, but that's not always the case. Um, producers can just put those little chasing arrows on things um, regardless of whether or not it's recyclable. Um, so it's really that type of um, misleading labeling or greenwashing and California is really stepping up to crack down on that um, and other countries or other uh, governments really need to follow suit. Um, we also need to address those microplastics that we've been talking about um, and I think there's going to be a big role for the government in thinking about how we um, prevent that type of plastic from getting out into our environment. Hmm. So like in general, Anya, what, what more can we do as citizens to prevent in general more plastics from harming, harming the oceans? What can we do besides, you know, the governmental level, but uh, us as citizens? Yeah, it's a great question. I think like climate change, um, sometimes thinking about individual action is such a big issue can be really daunting. Um, so what can one person, you know, what can we do as one person? Well, um, I try to encourage people to think about, you know, one action, try to just focus in on what you as one person can do one action each day, um, find something that gets you fired up or makes you passionate and happy. Um, and just keep taking that one action, whether that's emailing uh, your representatives about taking policy action, um, bringing a reusable tote bag to the store um, or getting involved in a beach cleanup. Um, and then I would encourage any of your listeners who are interested in learning more um, or taking other action to go to oceanconservancy.org and click the take action button to learn about ways they can get involved. Beautiful. Oceanconservancy.org and then click on the take action button. Well, great. Anya, we've had a, Anya Brandon, it's been terrific having you on the show. Thank you so much for bringing attention to this extremely important topic of plastics and the destruction of plastics in our environment. And we hope to talk to you again soon. And, and thank you and good luck with your work at Ocean Conservancy. Thank you for coming on Unite and Heal America with Matt Matter. Thank, thank you. you so much for having me. Yes. Excellent. As you may know, your host, Matt Mattern of Unite and Heal America, is also the founder of Mattern Law Group. Their team of experienced employment, consumer, and environmental attorneys are dedicated to leveling the playing field by giving everyone access to the highest quality legal representation. Contact 844-MLG-FOR-YOU. That's 844-MLG-FOR-YOU or 844-654-4968. 844-654-4968. 